Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Best Piece of Advice Ever, the show in which I, Daniele Fiendarka, speak to creatives about the best piece of advice they have ever been given and the impact it's had on their lives. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend Mark Earls, who talks about creative superpowers, the art of copying and the future of business. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Mark. So lovely to have one of my close friends on the shows. For those that don't know you, please can you tell our kind listeners who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name's Mark Earls, known as the Herdmeister, uh, and I do lots of things. I write books, I talk to people. Anywhere where there's a platform and a microphone and audience, I'll be there. Um, I consult and advise large businesses and organisations of different sorts, from corporations through to uh, NGOs. So you talk and you write books, but what are the subjects? Human behaviour mostly, almost always human behaviour, and based on uh, the thing, the idea that gives me my handle, Herdmeister. So it's about the fact that we're social creatures rather than uh, individual creatures. And is that the same with the work you do with corporates? It always ends up being a people-shaped problem, whether it's a tech problem, you know, running out new piece of technology or getting people to do a certain thing. It's always people. So um, what would you say you're most famous for? Uh, the book Heard probably is the thing I was most famous for. Uh, and I found a very weird thing around the time of the uh, uh, 2010 election. I'm, I'm really embarrassed about this, whichever way your politics falls. Uh, I was cited by both Labour and Conservative um, strategists as being a major influence on their policy making. So as it ended up, as it did with a coalition government of the, of the damned and the undead... Um, I, so the political landscape today is your fault? It's all my fault, yeah. Oh, wow. Now, I'm to blame for most things, including social media. Oh, wow. Um, so before we talk about the big question, I would love to talk to you about creativity. Um, would it be fair to say that, very much like myself, you consider yourself as a creative with a small C rather than a big C? Yeah, I th- I, that's absolutely right. Um, I think uh, that for a long time in my career, I was uh, allowed. I was allowed to be a little bit creative with a very small c but mostly I had to be not creative um in the early part of my career working in organizations where being creative meant that you basically were in the creative department and that was it nobody else is allowed to be creative um but I soon learned and so what was your I mean I mean you're talking advertising and you're and I think that 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 still I'm guessing pervades some of the industry this idea that creatives have to be the people in the creative department and other people outside shouldn't be. I mean, what do you think I think, about it, I think in most creative industries it's the same. Advertising is uh, is just uh, one I know best. Uh, yeah, so you've got people who write stuff and people who draw stuff um, and maybe people who turn that into a thing. They might be creative, but they're probably production rather than creative. Maybe you hire someone from outside, like a producer or photographer, and they're quite creative, but also you treat them like production suppliers. And everyone else basically is, you know, one degree less. It's a bit like that famous uh, sketch from uh, the 60s with John Cleese being really tall and Ronnie Barker being medium-sized and Ronnie Cobb being the smallest at the end. You know, we have this degree of lack of uh, creativity step by step as you go through organisations get closer and closer to those dreadful people who pay for it all. And so you, t- like me, you believe in the power of creativity and that, that everyone is creative. Uh, well, t- t- it's I mean- one of the things that human beings have. You know, it's one of our one of our best cards that we were dealt. Um, the ability to take stuff and make it a bit different. And so let's talk about that in terms of how do you... How do you work within businesses and how do you think businesses need to harness that creativity more across their talent? Uh, 
Uh, I think there are ways that people get re rewarded and incentivized that are really unhelpful. Um, to and a lot of it is sustaining fictions about the world, which are really unhelpful and about themselves. So about the world, fictions like the world is entirely predictable, that the world is rational, that customers and consumers are rational, that policymakers and citizens are rational, and, and it's just not true. We all know it's not true. We're none of us are rational. Um, although we all pretend we are quite a lot. Um, it's it's just really unhelpful. Equally, that this point about the world being predictable, it's not like a, a mechanical world. It's an organic world. It's a complex world. And you can simplify it if you want, but you're pretending to yourself with that simplification. So those two things lead people to imagine the way to succeed is to be entirely rational, reductive, simply nu numeral and numerically based. Um, and, and to ignore all this fancy stuff, which, after all, could be debated rather than demonstrated mm. um, as, as numerically-based stuff is. And so what, what, does, what does creativity look like for you? I mean, what does it look like? I mean, what, 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 what is it? Uh, a very good question. I think creativity is, uh, comes up in the way that we've described in our wonderful book, Creative Superpowers. It has a number of aspects. So one of it is the ability to take stuff that exists and take it apart and make it a bit better. And that can be found in uh, in the British Olympic cycling team's amazing ability to, to create, without drugs apparently, to create success by taking small improvements and, and, and aggregating them up to real success. So that's one side of it, hacking something. Um, and then the second thing is when you make something, because humans are human and not machines, we create an error. You know Andy Warhol's prints, the litho prints? Um, I've always loved that stuff, but not because of how the critics described it as, you know, a commentary on how difficult it is to be original in a world of um, mechanised production. Um, but because I think it's... Um, I think it shows that the interest is in the error. And that's what you do when you make. You find new things that you through error and, and discovery. And, and so that's really important. I think the teaching is an important piece. The One of my favourite books of recent years, non-fiction books of recent years, is, is um, uh, The Craftsman. Um, uh, it's a fantastic description of the history of work and creativity. We often aggrandise ourselves and pretend that we are special, that we are above all of this stuff. And the truth is, uh, when you look at the history of work, that people's ability to teach other people has helped them pass on the knowledge that the next generation has it. It's also helped them to learn as they teach. Um, uh, and uh, one, of the, one of the great sayings from an uh, 11th century Islamic anthropologist that's quoted in this book uh, is that uh, a uh, good master has uh, many hands. A number of people keep coming through the doors. So you learn from every time some new person you get to collaborate with or works for you, you learn as much from them as they learn from you. Yep. And so obviously you've got your fourth superpower, fourth which superpower. is the thief, which, <laughs> well, is your, which, is, which, which is your thing. So why don't you tell us a bit more about that? So uh, the fourth one is the one that I'm particularly uh, happy to admit to, which is uh, that we take our ideas from other people. None of us ever has an original idea. Maybe an original combination, maybe original contextualization. As far as we think, and of course we do like to think that it's original, and we do judge stuff on the basis this is new and surprising. But the truth is, none of us has an original idea. It's all been done before, and that's the beauty of it. 
Each of us as individuals doesn't start with a blank page. We start with the whole history of humanity, all the knowledge that's embedded in our cultures. And by culture, I don't just mean you know the way we, we organise weddings or something. I, I mean the, uh, the, the materials that we have created to allow ourselves to continue, even up to the present day with you know, the web and, and so on. It's a way of sharing and storing information that other people have, knowledge they have, know-how. I mean, uh, I'm sure you've done this recently, and I'm sure most of our listeners have, Doing something for the first time in the house, at home, or cooking, or preparing a meal, or something. Go on YouTube. It's really easy to find out how to do it. Um, and I do lots of things like that for the first time, installing a new um, sound system. Go on YouTube. They know tell you how to do it. So we copy from other people. And we do it in our own way, as I say, by copying. So Copy, Copy, Copy is a book that I did uh, before uh, we, we collaborated on, on Creative Superpowers. And I still think it's one that's most embarrassing to us in our culture of creative, where we, we lord creative originators and we think they're special kinds of people. All of us can be creative if we use these four powers, but particularly copy. I mean, I love the quote you give, which is Grayson Perry, originality is for people with short memories. Yeah, short memories and big egos. <laughs> uh, he doesn't say that last bit, but that's me. Um, let's be clear. No, I, uh, I think that's right. I think we'd like to pretend that we do things that are original and novel and that's where some of the buyers see the value because this is a new thing right rather than an old thing um uh, and uh if you're in the creative industry that's what you want to know can i create some value from this uh we also it's also much easier to charge for people who are special creative people and and uniquely great value because you could charge well, think, much more I for them well, I think for me, the so why don't we talk about Elvis? Because Elvis, you know, you would you would sit there and go, well, actually, he made a lot of money, very successful for what people would yep. assume was his uniqueness. Yeah, but absolutely, he's a damn good-looking fella, and maybe that was something. Oh no, he inherited it from his parents <laughs> and his parents' parents, and so on. Yeah, so so even his genetics are not his. Now, I think you're right. He made a lot of money, but the Colonel made quite a lot more money early on, um, and. Uh, uh, for most of it, most, most of his career, he, he, he benefited greatly from from Elvis's uh, earning capacity. Elvis was not an original. He was a big fat copycat. He he was a covers artist. He copied. He never wrote his own song. He always copied other people's songs, covered them. And if you play music at all, as I will be later on this evening. Um, you know as a covers band you are just one above the sound tech guy he's always disappointed when he says <laughs> you guys do your own songs you go no no just covers you know, okay um, and so that was Elvis right Elvis the king of rock and roll his way of singing was just a big mix of stuff that he'd heard around him was stuff that washed up in the Mississippi Delta he his you know you think of the breakthrough songs the song that got him banned from TV Hound Dog a band below the waist that is um, was uh, already been a success it, by Big uh, Big Mama Thornton, um, two years before Elvis recorded it, and um, weirdly, it was written by two, written as a genre R and B tune, which it sounds, um, but written by two nineteen-year-old Jewish boys from Brooklyn, who had loved the genre music and did their own version of it. Weird, right? So that's a copy, copy, copy thing. And then f uh, also his, his clothes, or his clothes were all made by Bernard Lansky, who was the guy who had the shot, the clothes store on Beale Street um, in Memphis. And Bernard put him in his first suit and put him in his last, but he just copied stuff from the street. So that's why Elvis wore a black leather jumpsuit in the 69 comeback tour and why he looked a bit like a member of Earth, Wind & Fire in the Vegas years with the, the high-collared white jumpsuits and the big kick flares. That's ghetto wear. 
that so he copied that even his name is not original let's be clear his name i thought elvis was a bit like moon unit or you know something that was squiggle something that was um something that was completely refreshing and unique but of course it isn't elvis's name is an old welsh name celtic name so you've been talking you've been talking about elvis being a big fat copycat for quite a while now have you had have you had any fans come up to you quite upset with you uh, no, I have had one or two, but, oh, yeah. it, but it wasn't he beautiful. We can agree on that. <laughs> also, I mean, I've had I've had audiences of of up to eight eight hundred a thousand people doing Viva Las Vegas dance and learning how to. So it's fun. I'm celebrating the man because he was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And if he can be the king of rock and roll, I still think he is the king of rock and roll in my mind. Anyway, he was a great innovator rather than inventor. And you're not lessening his achievements at all. You're just saying, actually, he was just very clever in what he did. I'm not sure he even knew that he was doing it. That was the point. He's just an innovator. Um, yeah. And so let's just draw the distinction there between innovation and invention. Invention is what we think of as creativity in the broader sense. So it's sitting in a darkened room, smoking too many cigarettes, drinking lots of black coffee, middle of the night. Ah, oh, the inspiration's here. I know the answer now. I've done it all on my own. And that's not how it works, really, ever. How it really works is you take something that doesn't work and you make it work. You take something someone else has done and you go, oh, I'll do my version of that. You take something and you show someone else to do it. And in showing someone else to do it, you actually had to take it apart and reinvent it yourself anyway. So that's how, that's how um, in, innovation works rather than invention. And I think if we can separate those two things and we think about creativity, that'd be really helpful. So if we're going to look at the modern Elvis, would it be fair to say that Fortnite is kind of the modern Elvis? <laughs> sort of. Sort of. I'm a bit too old for that. <laughs> but uh, but I, th- I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. So let's turn to the big question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and by whom? Before I give you the answer, yes. I'm just going to say I'm never very, very good at being given advice. I'm much better at taking advice than giving advice and that no but this is this is the advice that you've got the advice i've got no but i think that's the point because it 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 helps me perhaps perhaps the listener um understand why i'm going to say this next thing right okay and it'll explain some of the stories about my career so um the best piece of advice i ever got was from vonnegut and uh kurt vonnegut and uh in one of his many speeches advising young people and he was a big uh hero of my teenage years um, rather bookish North London types. Um, uh, well, I mean, listen, uh, I'm done with the same, but the other Mark, the, the commode, Mark Commode. Yeah. He's a massive fan of Vonnegut <laughs> as well, so I don't know whether that's a. That's a so he also. He also he's plays, a North London. He also plays, North London, he plays in a dodgy band as well. Yes. Um, uh, he's better quiff than And by the way, hello to Jason Isaacs. Hello, Jason. Um, and uh, so, yes, he, he this simple line from him was um, join a gang, any gang. And uh, it's quite remarkable. This man who, this man who just wrote books that we kind of we kind of got excited about when I was a teenager, and and then through my twenties, it became it's, it's a benchmark really of what a rebel or uh, you know a radical kind of writer would be. Um, interesting in the way he shaped my career because um, he's an anthropologist, and I've championed for the last twenty years or more other social sciences in understanding human behaviour than psychology. Uh, anthropology is really all about what goes on between people rather than between their ears, um, culture and so on. Um, he's an amazing man, though. He survived the firebombing of Dresden. Just extraordinary. And, and you know, if you read uh, read his account of it, it's quite extraordinary. He, 
he also was clearly against Vietnam and all of those things. So whilst I was more than a generation older than, uh, younger than that, um, I, I still, we still saw him as something rather important. Join a gang, any gang reminds you that together we're stronger than we are on our own and that most of life is a collaborative act and most of work is a collaborative act. Uh, again, quite in contrast to this idea of the creative individual that we talked about before. You know, the great heroic individual who, who on their own leads the leads the, the the lost people to success and salvation and so on. It's just nonsense. Together we we make things happen. That's why, you know, Elvis didn't do it on his own. Elvis had various musical advisors and arrangers. He always had the colonel in the background making the money and selling the licenses to Elvis dolls and Elvis skittles and stuff, you know. Amazing. Um and I'm I'm always rather more comfortable it's rather, rather strange to say, as someone who doesn't work for a company, I'm always rather more comfortable being conciliary than leader, conciliary than capo, I guess. Just And I feel my best work is done in the company of and on behalf of other people. I used to think that um, being the cleverest boy in the room was the answer on my own. If, if, I, got the, uh, if I got the answer right, that was enough. That's what people are buying, but it's not, actually. I've discovered that, actually, my creativity is in helping other people be really creative and successful. And so I spent a lot of the last 10, 15 years creating ways in which people can do that rather than um, uh, rather than uh, find the answer myself. I've done a project recently where it turned out I had to have the answer, which is all a bit troubling. Um, uh uh, and I take a great deal of joy in that. Uh, maybe it's something like the th the teacher and thief um, modes of creativity combined. I don't know. But I mean, it's also an element, is there not, of you may have the idea, but when you're working with a client, a lot of the time you need to allow them to come... You may have the solution, but they need to come up with that solution themselves. Just yeah. going through the process helps them and so therefore helping guide them through that process has actually become the skill. Yeah, absolutely. And creating experiences for them to have which will allow them to have the idea or the ideas or to take that idea and make it better or have another idea that's better than that. So all of those things. Training experience is really quite important and that's that's uh, more akin to the teaching thing than perhaps I would have thought a few years ago. Uh, so that's that's important. And so come back, coming back to, we do a lot of work in inclusion and diversity, and, and if we look at that advice, I mean, I'd just love to know your view on, I mean, how much of that is just fundamentally belonging, the need to belong to a, something bigger uh, and having that kind of sense of belonging. I think, I think belonging is one of our most important, um, most important drives, um, being a social creature. You know, we're a wee creature with the illusion of I. We imagine we're individuals and separate, but actually we can only survive together. We can only survive using the brains of other people and the practice of other people. I think diversity is a really interesting thing because it makes us confront the way in which we've used belonging to exclude people, consciously and unconsciously, and uh, create uh, identities, which us identities, we identities, which are... Uh, make us feel better about ourselves and the yawning gap of loneliness that might befall us if we were excluded um, uh, at the expense of people on the outside and we other people all the time it's really easy to do I do it and you do it and you know we're old friends and, and so we know that that we're neither of us are perfect but we do it all the time and I think this is a way for us to combat that and start to create 
ways for organisations to be less easily othered. Yeah, I think it was interesting when we did the Great British Diversity Experiment, that idea that, you know, all of a sudden people were in the room and no one was in the majority. Yeah. And the difference that made, because no one felt they had to represent themselves. Or all of a sudden everyone was different. And so I think it's, you know, diversity is as much about saying, well, let's create such a diverse room that everyone feels different and there isn't a in-group to a certain extent. No, I think that's right. We're, we're all, we find some other way that, that whatever we're doing together makes us an in-group as opposed to people in the room being separated from the rest. I think it's really important. I mean, I'm just reflecting now as we talk. For my, a lot of my uh, personal development has been, as well as my professional life, has been on the based on the fact that we were different in my family. You know, when I first, we first moved to London in the, in the late sixties, I was, um, I was, you know, the little Welsh boy. Soon lost that accent in the schools of Northwest London. Um, but, uh, and you know, my family were Catholic, which is a bit weird. So we were like those strange Irish and Italian and, and other people down the road. So you know, and uh, and Catholic, you would not like us then, are you? And then my parents, my mum was a, a French and German teacher, and so we went abroad for holidays. And we brought food back that we ate and drank wine and all of that kind of stuff, which is just weird. It just felt outside the the normal status quo um, uh, of all the people that I met. And I think I've carried that on into my professional life and I've always been a bit of a contrarian. because so I've always felt on the outside and always felt in a position that I could challenge things that are being said because they're patently wrong. Whether it's, you know, the silly stories we tell ourselves about how consumers, whoever they might be, actually behave or how employees should be engaged or any of those you know those, those really full of silly ideas those those notions there um and uh why i've enjoyed you know being part of a community like creative social it's been amazing that was just, just delightful to be part of that people fe- feeling a home yeah we all need that belonging thing and yep. we all need of course we all need a bit of approval um, we all like, you know, acknowledgement and respect on that stuff, but we mostly need a gang. So, how have you? So, what have been your gangs? What you know, you t- you talked about Crepe Social, which obviously mm. is is where this idea came from. Yep. It no longer exists, but we now have Culture Social, so it you know it just changes, right? Yeah. Um, where what have been your key gangs in your career that have really helped shape you? Uh, it's yeah. There were. Uh, it's very often I was the naughty boy who was too clever for the class when I was, a, you know, a, a teenager. Not necessarily naughty, because I wasn't really very naughty. I was just a bit willful. Um, uh, and so I carried on when I when I started working. And I found myself in a function in advertising agencies and account planning, which was a bit different. You know, we, we huddled together because, you know, we got beaten up regularly by the suits on the one hand and the creative people on the other side. Um, and... Um, we first that was a home and then there was a home of people who tried to do that better and challenge them and stuff and started writing about it and trying to make things better you know there's a professional bodies like the APG and I was lucky enough to be uh, I was honoured to be made a you know an honorary fellow of the IPA a few years ago for the work I've done in helping teach them that was a nice world but like you say things change and, and we change and we move on so I've had you know organisations like like uh, creative social, which are more interesting, or there's a there's a bunch of of uh, I, I could think I can call them um, 
this uh, old reprobates from from strategy research and planning world who are, who are an amazing bunch of people um, some of the very best professionals called the dead spiders society in memory of uh, in memory of in memory of the day that Ch- the late charlie robertson stood us up you know for dinner but, so it's a really fun bunch we meet up every six months or a year or so and, and have a really nice catch-up but they have been very formative in making me feel that like i've got a voice yeah. and i think that's we all need stuff like that um yeah. and then I've been fortunate enough as well for 29 years now to be playing in a dreadful band. <laughs> when you say dreadful, what do you mean? Because I, I have to say, it's one of, I'm missing it. I'm missing your latest gig, but I love them. You do, brilliant. Oh, I love yeah. them. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, we have a we have a real laugh. It's, uh, there's um, all of us, there's six of us now, and all of us have been in bands when we were younger. Um, apart from sax player, who only took up the sax player play, sax at all about seven or eight years ago um uh, all being in bands and all fed up with people trying to show their mastery of the instrument whereas in fact the audience is the thing yeah, and our enjoyment as well because you've got to pre- prepare for it if you don't like the rehearsal what, the, what are you doing it for yeah as you get older you've got more and more things in your life why would you give up a saturday afternoon to do that to do another rehearsal with people you don't like so we're together we like each other we have fun together we laugh um, and we enjoy the rehearsal and the, and the show tonight. It's going to be fun. And most of all, it's a show for the audience. Yeah. So they have a good time. And, you know, we have absolutely no self-respect whatsoever. Um, so we will be singing. We'll be playing a scar version of um, Walking the Air. We'll be doing uh, Lonely Last Christmas. We actually did um, Lonely Last Christmas at someone's birthday in July. It was quite fun. Um, uh, Lonely This Christmas, that's a mud, one of the unforgotten classical pop bands of the of the 70s and 80s um and uh we just we have a good time and everyone in the room goes away feeling good we're not the most you won't hear a guitar solo that lasts more than two bars probably sax solos are loud a verse but that's it yeah. so and, and definitely no drum solos and we follow the basic rule uh established in the big lebowski which is never mic the drummer up because that where the that's that way the eagles lie and I can't stand those damn eagles. Very good. So uh, I know you said you don't like giving advice, mm-hmm. uh, but as an author, um, what advice would you give to someone that's sitting there thinking, "I'd like to write a book," and specifically, specifically, probably a business book as opposed to uh, nonfiction? But okay, uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to copy 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 someone else's advice. Um, so uh, years ago, one of the first books I I did was edit a selection of essays about about advertising and, and marketing. And um, my late friend John Cronk wrote this brilliant chap- chapter, which was uh, about ocean racing and strategy for business and strategy for uh, marketing and advertising. And in it, he coined this brilliant phrase. He said, "What you don't need is a strategy, because it's a big and uncomfortable word. What you need is a strategy." How do you get yourself started? Because once you've got started, you can do lots of things. You can pivot in any direction. But get started. So my advice would be to find a strategy. Get writing. Start it. Some way, whatever way you can break through that blank wall in front of you, do it. Write it on cards. Stick it on the wall. Gunter Grass used to do lots of drawings before he wrote a novel and stick them around his writing room. Um, also did sculptures again, now and again. Uh, but that, that was his method. Um, I just find that you have to keep writing. You have to keep telling people the story and stories and find out which bits are interesting. So I, interesting, I write my books from the back rather than the front. So I don't go, I've got this idea for a book. 
pitch it and then go, what am I going to do now? <laughs> you go and research it. I normally have the idea, and I've been developing the research for it for a few years and testing the material out on audiences in various ways. And then I start it, because it's done. And so what, what, what's your next book? Uh, I've got two, and I can't really think about what... Um, uh, which one to do? So uh, I'm avoiding that decision right now. So one of which is uh, is about the future and ways of thinking about the future, called Memories of the Future, uh, and how you can think more successfully about the future. How you can how you can embrace new things and opportunities uh, rather better than we we do now. And and no offence to anyone in the trends business, but frankly, it's a lot of money for not very much help, practical help. Um, so there's there's that. Uh, there's another book which is an extension of my herd stuff um, and gang stuff, which is the space between us, which is uh, uh, about how the really important thing we need to do is to understand how we can help each other interact better, how the space that we need to work on when we're creating interventions, whether it's advertising or marketing or clinical or whatever, is the space between people rather than the space between their ears, and. Um, whether you're looking at individuals, groups, families, cities, or populations at a country level or the, or the world, we need to understand how we interact and shape those interactions better. That's the that's so. The so the two types: memories of the future. Yep, and, and space between space us. Space between us. So, what's your Twitter handle so those people listening can tweet you which one they think will be better? At Herdmeister. Fantastic. So hopefully you'll get lots of tweets. Obviously, feel free to ignore them all because ultimately I think <laughs> it will come down to what you're feeling, right? I mean, that's uh, yeah. it's yeah. What, what you hear. And I think it's really interesting. Um, it was one of our original members of Creative Social was Mark Cridge. Yeah. You know, I, I always loved that phrase that he talked about, which was, you know, having lots and lots of ideas and throwing those probes out. And actually putting them out there totally. and then working out what comes back. And I think I get asked, because I do wear a lot of hats sometimes, mm. which ones you choose to follow. Mm. And I'm like the ones that get the energy. Yeah, totally. totally. You know, and, and then you have another go. You cast them out again. You just have to keep doing that, recasting several times each of these different ideas. And while you're doing that, you go, oh, actually, there's this other thing I've thought of. Let's see what gets that. And, you you know, you. it's like so many things in life. You can't just choose one thing and hold on to it ruthlessly you have to keep chucking stuff out and so just uh final question where do you get your inspiration from everywhere all the time <laughs> everywhere constantly I'll be, i've been staring at the wall behind you which is quite interesting uh it looks to me a little bit like a mock tudor thing with a strange panel it's a dark wood uh, strange panel insert which looks as if it's meant to be a french um uh, french classical uh, piece of silk um so i wonder what that's about um I, look that's how you ch- that's how you can live in the future, the short end, so I don't need to read the book, um, which is you keep going, mm, I wonder why that is. I wonder if it was a bit different. Because then you start to see things, not for the first time, but they're familiar to you when they they come towards you. you go, that's, yeah, I've seen that before. It's much is easier that, to Is that how it. you're, I mean, I'd love to know, is that how your brain works? I mean, are you, do you find yourself just also flitting between stuff as well? Is, mm. is that... I, mean, I know there's yeah. that, that scene, oh, what's the, I can't remember, it's The Good Wife. Yeah. And there's the, uh, there's the lawyer, the solicitor in the courtroom, mm. the one that gets completely distracted. And mm. they, put, they put a little magazine down just to distract her. <laughs> and you, Tina basically yeah. says, that's you. <laughs> and I just, I just wonder whether that's kind of, because even you talking about school, I felt like I was exactly that person oh, at right, school. Okay. So, do right. you think there's just the... I think, I think there's, there, I think, uh, 
I think you're a bit more easily distracted than me because I've. <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what. Um, I have. I had a. We had a domestic disagreement the other day. Uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll be ready for for to eat in about ten minutes," and an hour and a half later, I had surfaced from the work I was doing. I wasn't popular, and I hadn't heard any of the follow up calls at all. I hadn't heard any of the. I hadn't seen the dog come in the room yes, that, I, uh, you, because you, I was you, so you concentrated. Because uh, so so don't into and engage with the work I was doing. Uh, but I do constantly go, oh, that's interesting. Well, that's yeah. and and giving yourself the well, chance. That's curiosity. That it's curiosity, and and the part of the trouble then is, of course, as you know, which is you can't switch it off. Yeah. But then that's another thing that creative people need to learn to manage. How do you yeah. switch it off? Well, thanks for your time, Mark. As always, I love chatting to you, and I look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank thanks. you very much. If you enjoyed today's show, then do show us some love by tweeting your comments to at WeAreUtopians or at YellyF with a hashtag BPOAE or just connect with me, Danielle Fiendarka, on LinkedIn. We would welcome feedback or any suggestions for future guests. And hello to Jason Isaacs.